0: How, how do you know this is worth it, this this gathering together, this coming and opening our Bibles and sitting and trying to learn, like how, week in, week out, getting up on a Sunday, one of your two days off for most of you, how how, how do you know this is worth it? As you're thinking through January, we're starting a new year, you got some new resolutions, some new ideas, maybe some of you are trying I need to get... I need to get plugged into a church, that's awesome, that's great, but have you ever stopped and asked the question, like, how do you know this is worth it? And, and, and one of the ways that you have to figure that out is to go, how do I know that this God is real? How, how do we know? How do, know? how do we know God really exists? And, and if, if God exists, let's, let's, let's just go ahead and assume that he, there's a creator out there, how do we know that he has a plan? How do we know that he has, he has something to offer us? How do, we, how do we know that he can help us? How do we know that... We need to be helped. Well, I think most of us kind of know we need to be helped, but how do we know that there's a God who has an offer and a plan and a will and all those things? And I don't know if you ask those questions, but they're, they're kind of big questions that all of humanity ask: how, Is, it, is what, what I'm doing worth it? Does it provide meaning? And, and is there a God? And does He? How do I, how do I know these things? And here's. Here's one of the ways, maybe, maybe one of the best ways that you can know this is God has spoken to us. God has revealed himself to us. The writer of Hebrews, when he starts this, this letter, this book, this sermon, he, he says, hey, long ago, many times, many ways, God has spoken to us through the prophets. And now he's spoken to us in these last days through his son. Our God has spoken to us. Our God has revealed Himself to us. You, you understand? We wouldn't figure this out on our own. We wouldn't just "Hey, let's let's see if there's a God. Let's go. Let's go exploring. Let's go on a journey. Let's try to figure this out." No, God has to reveal Himself to us, or we don't know Him. God has to speak to us, or we don't know who he is, what he's done. We don't know about his character. We don't know about his mighty works, his mighty acts. But our God has spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us. That's, that's why you would gather. That's why we would sit and, and listen to the Bible being taught. Like that's how we know that he's real, that he's got a plan for us because he's revealed it to it. He's revealed himself, his works, his plan, his rescue, his salvation. It's all revealed to us. And, and what, what the writer of Hebrews says is, hey, a long time ago, God has revealed himself to us through the prophets. And when he says prophets, I mean, you start thinking about these great prophets, Elijah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Uh, but he's really, he's kind of just kind of lumping all the Old Testament into this category of prophets. Moses wrote uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, and Moses was the greatest prophet, maybe. And so you've, you've got all the prophets God has revealed himself to us through the prophets and we have this Old Testament and that's how he has kind of shown us who he is and showed us his character and his nature and his plans and so God has revealed himself through the prophets and what what that means for us is this truth, January 8th, this truth that will guide us through the year, the Bible is God's word Now, you probably were hoping for something deeper than that today. We're starting off a new year really, really simple. The Bible is God's word. It's, it's him revealing himself to us through this book. And as simple as that sounds, if you'll just stop and think about the, the depth of that statement. I think sometimes we actually get a little bit distracted because we know that the Bible was written by different people that there's 66 different books and it was over 40 different authors and they wrote over like a 1,300-year time, uh, time span. And so we, we kind of get distracted. And we're like, hey, have you seen, hey, you, you know what Paul said in Romans? Paul said some great stuff in Romans. He said some pretty confusing stuff there too, but he said some really good stuff in Romans. You, have you seen that? Hey, man, what David said in the Psalms, when David wrote that Psalm, I connected with it because of his emotion, he was pouring it out. And David said some good things there. What Moses said in Deuteronomy, man, and I don't know, you guys aren't the 8 o'clock crowds, I don't know if you've even been to Deuteronomy, but like, like, but Moses said, that's some good, good stuff there. And sometimes we get distracted by that. And I get it because that's the beauty of this Bible is that God wrote it through people. He inspired people to write these words. He used their personalities and their gifts and their experiences. When David's sharing his heart in the Psalms and he's writing about his experience and he's, he's, he's pouring out his heart and asking God questions and he's, he's declaring things. He's, God's speaking through David to use all of his experience and all of his wisdom and all of his passion. When God speaks through Paul in Romans or Philippians or Ephesians, he uses Paul's uh, personality and, and, and his, his knowledge and all the different things that make Paul all unique, and he uses that. He uses all the different authors of Scripture and, and how they saw the world and all their perspective. He uses all that. And so, yes, that's a big part of the Bible. But here's, here's another way to think about it. God spoke to us through his word. What God says in Romans, man, it's amazing. There's so much depth there. What God says to us in the Psalms, so much emotion, so much that we can feel and connect to God because of what he says there. What God said in Deuteronomy, God is the author. God has spoken. The Bible is God's word, him speaking to us. He spoke through people. He wrote it through people. He used all those things, but Scripture says that about Scripture. All of the Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God. God breathed. He breathed it out. He spoke it through people to reveal himself to us, to show us who who he is, what he's like, to reveal his character, reveal his purposes, and show us how he loves us. And so as as you kind of start off a year, as we start off a new book with Hebrews, I I just wanted to kind of camp out there for just a second. The Bible is God's word, which means a few things for us. If you think about the fact that that's what we're believing, that this is God's word, then it means that, first of all, this this Bible carries divine authority. It's it's the authority of all authorities. In a world today where 70%, at least 70% of Americans say they don't believe in absolute truth. And that's that's really going well for us, by the way. That's, man, heading us right in the right. Like, everybody believes, hey, truth is subjective. Truth is relative. Like if you believe that's true for you, then that's fine. Let that be your truth. I'm going to have a different truth. And all of a sudden we have just spin off, spin off, spin off, and there's no absolutes. The world basically is telling us there's no absolute truth. And if this is God's word, if he spoke this to us, if he wanted to, like this has a divine authority that, that maybe is missing in our culture completely. And we need to Oh, God spoke this. Well, then I need to understand that this is absolute truth. This is, this is an authority. So no matter what the culture is saying, no matter how much we adapt and change as a culture and we become so enlightened that we think differently, like, no, this is an authority that we can always go to. This is a standard that we can always go to. This is truth that we can always count on. It, it, it doesn't waver with the latest fads or latest trends. This, this is God's word to us. It's a divine authority. And it's, it's enduringly relevant. God is the same yesterday, today, and all forever. In fact, Hebrews is going to tell us that. and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so his word that he wrote, it doesn't change. It stands the test of time. It's relevant in every situation, every culture, every circumstance we find ourselves. The Bible speaks with relevance to all that because it's a living and active book. It's constantly speaking. God is constantly speaking to us through His Word. And so it's always relevant. The culture is saying this, and we go back to the truth here, this absolute authority that's always relevant. And we say, No, this is the truth. And so even though the culture may say, No, no, that's changed. We don't think that way anymore. Oh, we go, yeah, But this is the standard. It doesn't ever change. We can always count on this. It's enduringly relevant. And then this this mystery of this whole thing, it's a unified message. The beauty of this 66 books, over 40 different authors, 1,300 at least years, and it's one story from front to back telling us about God and what he's done for us telling us who he is and what he's done. One story, unified all the way throughout it. One story. We, we spent the fall talking about these greatest stories ever told. We looked at all these stories, David and Goliath and Daniel the lion's den, all these stories. And we were looking, we saw that, man, these guys were great. These guys were heroes. God used them in mighty ways. But guess what? They were always pointing us to something better to come. They were always leaving us like, oh yeah, but there's, there's probably a hero that's coming that's going to be even better. These guys are just shadows, as good as they were, just shadows of the ultimate hero. So they're always pointing us to the one that was to come. And so this Bible is this one story all the way throughout, one unified message because God wrote it. Only God could do that. Could use that many different people over that much time. Only God could speak it that way. Only God could orchestrate it. He had to breathe it it through people in order for it to be that way. So, guys, that's why when you're sitting about thinking about January and starting some things, and you think, I, I need to read the Bible this year. I need to, maybe you've, never, you've been a believer for a while, but you've never read the whole Bible. I would really encourage you to get one of those one-year reading plans and say, I'm going to read the whole book. I'm, I'm, I think I believe this, so I'm going to read it all. Why would you do that? Why would you make a commitment to be here on Sundays to sing these songs and sit under the teaching of His Word? Like, we give half of our time together to the teaching of his word. Why would you do that? I think it's a great thing to do. I think it's a commitment you ought to put at the top of your list, but why would you do that? You would do that because you believe this is God's word, that he spoke it to us. Why would you get involved in a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study or in your community groups, discuss God's word? Why would you do that? Because God has spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us through his word, through the prophets. And so that's why you would do that. That's why we would hopefully not just gather together, but we would decide to live this out. I wouldn't just, I want to learn it, I want to hear it, I want to sing it. I I think I'm going to live by it. I think no matter what the culture says, no matter what the latest idea is, no matter what celebrities are saying on Twitter, we're going to live by this standard because this is God's spoken word to us. He spoke this to us. He has written us. He has given us his word. And so I'm going I'm to learn it, study it, and I'm going to live it. That's a pretty good start to a 2023. But here's what, here's what he says. "Long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, Hebrews chapter one, verse one, verse two. but in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. So God revealed himself through the prophets. The Bible is God's word, but here's what, he's, here's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is the ultimate, full, and final revelation of God. What the writer of Hebrews is saying here is that God spoke through the prophets, but now he's spoken through Jesus, and that's better. That's ultimate. That's, God revealed himself to us through the prophets. He showed us who he is and what he's, what he's up to and what he's like, his character, all those things. But when Jesus came, we saw a fuller picture of it. We saw the ultimate picture of it. And God has spoken to us through his son. He's the ultimate, full, and final revelation. And so Jesus is better. And you're going to hear us say that all throughout this series when we're talking about Hebrews, because that's the theme of Hebrews. That's, it's constantly through it. Jesus is better than everything else. And he's saying Jesus is the better revelation. He's the fuller revelation. He's the final revelation. God spoke to the prophets, but now he's spoken through the son. We have a really good picture of what God is like. We really can know God because Jesus has shown up. And don't misunderstand. He's not saying that, okay, so let's get rid of the Old Testament. We don't need it anymore. He's, he's not saying the Old Testament's bad. He's just saying it wasn't really complete. It, it wasn't fully complete until Jesus showed up. All those stories were pointing to the hero to come. Jesus is that hero, and he's fulfilled it. The Old Testament kind of leads you on a cliffhanger. There's one that's coming. When's he going to come? And there's all these years of silence, and then he shows up, and the cliffhanger's over. Every cliffhanger should, should be resolved at some point. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of that. He's the ultimate, full, and final revelation of God. Years ago, 2009, the movie Up came out. You guys remember this movie, Up, Disney movie? It, it's, it's a pretty cool movie. And it was Disney. So I took my kids. My kids were really young. In fact, my youngest was so young she stayed at home with mom and I just took the other three to see this movie. We got to the movie theater. We got the popcorn, one one bucket to rule them all. We got all the things. We're ready. And the movie starts and it's Disney so it, it grabs you and pulls you into the story and there's this guy and he, he has this lifelong dream of Leaving where he is and going to South America and finding Paradise Falls and building a house there. And then he finds this girl and she has the same dream, and they get married and they fall in love and they have the same dream and they're, they're planning for it. They got a picture of it, they're thinking about it. One day we're going to Paradise Falls. It's going to be amazing. And then she gets sick and she dies in a Disney movie. It doesn't seem fair. I mean, I know they did that with Bambi, but that was just to try to get us hunters, right? Like, just trying to make our lives miserable. But, like, she dies. And all of a sudden, his dream unravels. I mean, this is not what it was supposed to be. This is not the dream. This is not the movie. This is not, like, he's, he's depressed. He didn't have a purpose. He didn't know where to go. His love of his life, the one who shared his dream, is now not with him any longer. And guys, it was 2009. If you're mad that I run that movie for you, come on. <laughs> 2009. And that's the point of the movie where a storm came through Rockwall and knocked the power out. And we just sat there, like, what? What's going on? And the minutes kept going by and several minutes later somebody came in with a flashlight from the theater and said I'm sorry the power's out and they told us they're not going to get it on anytime soon so you're going to have to go home. Mm -hmm. Hey hey kids that's all the movie for today. (laughs) They're looking at me like you said this would be a happy place. I had to take them home we had to come back and watch it a few days later. It It was horrible in that moment. Now it was a dad fail, and I didn't do anything to do it, but I get blamed for everything anyway. Dad, <laughs> that movie wasn't bad. That part of the movie wasn't bad. If you if if you keep going, it's it all comes. back. That movie was fine. It was good animation, the story, but it was it wasn't finished. It was incomplete. It it needed some resolution, real bad. And that's what that's what the writer of Hebrews seems to be saying like, hey, God revealed himself in the prophets. It just wasn't the full picture. You got to see, you got to see enough to get you where you need to be. But like when Jesus showed up, he fulfilled it. He's, he's the full picture. He's what you were looking for all this time. And now you see this is who, who God is. And this is what he's like. And this is what he's come to do. This is the rescue that he's on. This is what he's done. Martin Luther said it this way, if the word of the prophets is accepted, and they are, how much more ought we to seize the gospel of Christ, since it's not a prophet speaking to us, but the Lord of the prophets, not a servant, but a son, not an angel, but God himself speaking to us, revealing himself to us. We accept all the Bible. It's all breathed out by God. But make sure you pay attention to the story of Jesus. It's the full, final, and ultimate revelation of God. And so what the writer of says, God spoke really really well through the prophets. Those guys were great. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all of them. But when Jesus showed up as better. With Jesus, he speaks a better word. It speaks a fuller word. And and that's kind of where this whole thing is going with Hebrews, is just to point us to the greatness of Jesus all along. I know some of you guys like this background stuff, so let me just stop and and kind of give you some background of Hebrews since our first time in it and and kind of give you, hey, hey, here's what we know about this book and here's where it's going. The background is this. The author of Hebrews is unknown. We don't know who it is. Because of that, scholars have spent a lot of time trying to figure out who it is. We don't know because he didn't tell us. You know, when Paul wrote a letter, he started like, hey, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle, got that going for me, pay attention, and then he got to the end, he's like, tell everybody hi, tell their mom and them hi, all the, all the people, and we knew it was Paul from the very beginning all the way through the end, but it doesn't have that in Hebrews, nobody says, hey, this is me writing, Paul, Paul did not say that here, It's like, we don't know, because he didn't tell us, so people said, maybe it was Luke. He spent some time with Paul sounds a lot like Paul sometimes maybe it was Luke maybe it was Silas he spent some time with Paul some people say uh, it was Clement one of the early uh, church leaders and then some people say it was Barnabas and man i like that if you know me at all you know i love Barnabas he's one of my favorite guys in the new testament And I think Barnabas probably wrote this because Barnabas, man, if you know anything about his life, he didn't care who got the credit. He was always pushing other people up into the front. He was always saying, look, look, Paul, you go, you go out there, speak to a man. He was encouraging Paul, he mentored Paul, he discipled Paul, he made Paul pretty much what he is. That's my story. And so (laughs) Barnabas, it's just like him to not put his name on here, to not say he wrote it. Just, here's a letter. Hope hope God uses it. That just seems like Barnabas to me. Now, the official story is that nobody knows. Origen, one of the earliest church scholars, said, only the Lord knows who wrote Hebrews. And that statement is true, and I believe it. Only the Lord knows who wrote Hebrews. But it's probably Barnabas. Okay, so. (laughs) But we don't know. The audience, it's kind of vague. Uh, the destination is also not clear. Those two things, like you saw that in Paul. To the church and saints gathered in Philippi. To the saints gathered together in the holy church in Ephesus. Like you see Paul giving a destination and an audience and making it really clear who he's writing to. And this one just says to the Hebrews. And that's actually not in the text, it's, it's, it's the title, but it's a title that's on almost all the early manuscripts. So we, it, it was probably there in the beginning to the Hebrews. It, to the Jews that are now Christ followers, where are they? I, we don't know. Could have been in Jerusalem. Could have been dispersed everywhere. We, we don't know. But this, it's kind of, it's kind of unknown author, vague audience, not clear destination. That's okay, because God wrote it. We, we don't need to know those things. God God has spoken His word to us, and so we can learn so much from us from it. And, and here's here's what we do know because. When you get inside to the the book itself, you see the occasion and you see the theme. And the occasion, and this may be something you just want to take a picture of, the writer of Hebrews is warning Christians not to turn away from faith in Christ in the midst of trials, and he's exhorting them instead to press on to full spiritual maturity. The occasion seems to be that there were Christians that were getting to the place where they were struggling and there were pressures and there was persecution and there were trials and they were like, I don't know if this is really worth it. And they were starting to turn back to Judaism, to their old religion, to their old ways. I don't know if this Christianity is going to work out. And there was a temptation for them to just, okay, I'm going to quit that and go back. And the writer of Hebrews is like, no, 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 don't you, don't you turn around. Don't you go back. Instead, he's exhorting them to press on, keep going, keep trusting, press on to full spiritual maturity. And because of that, this theme develops in Hebrews. And here's the theme. It's as simple as it can be. Jesus is better. The theme of Hebrews, you'll hear it over and over again, is that Jesus is better. He's better, y'all. Specifically, in the context of this book, Jesus is better than anything else we would be tempted to turn to or fall back on. You and I aren't tempted to go back to... uh, sacrifices in the temple and Judaism and all that stuff. That's not our temptation, but we are always tempted to turn away from Jesus to something else. We're always tempted to think that something else will satisfy us or give us what we're really looking for, fulfillment, joy, meaning. And so we wander away, we drift away, we turn away, and we start pursuing something else instead of Jesus, this is a constant temptation for us. And what Hebrews is telling us, no, Jesus is better. He's better than anything you think that you might want to turn away from. From Jesus and pursue. He's better than anything you would want to fall back on in your old life or your old ways. He's he's always always going to be better. And as he begins to do this, this this letter of Hebrews, it's not even really a letter. It's almost more like a sermon that's been written down. In fact, at one point he says, "This is my word of exhortation." That word of exhortation means encouragement, which is something that that was Barnabas's name was encourager, so it's probably Barnabas, but. He's kind of saying, this is a a sermon. Hey, listen to me. Don't turn back. Jesus is better. Follow him. Trust him. Keep going. And so he's going to highlight for us the supremacy of Christ over and over. Look at how great he is. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the sanctuary. He's greater than the temple. He's greater than the tabernacle. He's greater than the old covenant. He's greater. He's better. And he's going to show us the sufficiency of his work. Look at what Jesus accomplished, no one else could accomplish. He accomplished for us what we could never do for ourselves. And he's going to show us the necessity of faith for our salvation. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, he's going to say. Faith is a necessity for our salvation. It's what brings us into God's family. By faith, we're brought in, grafted into the family of God. Faith in what Jesus has accomplished on that cross. And so we're going to see that over and over again. And so as he starts his letter. He says, hey, God's spoken to us. He's revealed himself to us. And the ultimate revelation is Jesus. And I want you to know that when you're tempted to turn away from him or wander away from him or drift away from him, I want you to remember he is better. If you think about it, it makes so much sense. Every time I'm tempted to wander away from him, I'm always thinking that there's something else that will give me what only he can give me. Every time I drift, it's because I've taken my eyes off of who he is and what he's done, and I thought, that's what I really need. And it never satisfies, it never fulfills, but that's that's what I think. And so the cure for that has to be reminding ourselves of his greatness reminding ourselves of who he is reminding reminding myself that he is better guys that's why we gather that's why we spend time here i'm just trying to explain to you what God has said to us like that is why we sing the songs that we sing that's why we do all the things that why we're in community groups cuz we need a reminder in our face all the time he's better and that's not so that I'll constantly follow after him so here's what he, the writer of Hebrews says hey jesus is better and then he gives seven In two verses, really, he's like, here's seven ways that Jesus is better. And he just throws it down on us. Jesus is better because he's the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things. It's all his. He's in in charge of it. He's in control of it. He owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. Jesus is the heir of all things. Why is he the heir of all things? Because he's the creator of the world. He's the one who made this. He doesn't just show up in the New Testament. Jesus has always been. He's he's God, eternal. In the beginning was the Word, John says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then later the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But he also says that everything that was made was made through him. He's the creator. When God spoke the world into existence, Jesus is the one who was doing that. In Colossians it says that he is the maker, the creator of all things. That Jesus is the creator of the world, so he owns the world. We're accountable to him in all of our lives because he made us. He's spoken to us about who he is and what he wants us to do in response to that because he created us and he owns us and we're his. So he's the creator of the world, the heir of all things. And then he says he's the radiance of the glory of God. If you see that, verse 3, he's the radiance of the glory of God. It's this picture that all the prophets were revealing God to us and then Jesus showed up and he gave us a clear picture. He's the radiance of God's glory. He shows us God. He shows us what God looks like. He shows us what God is like. He shows us his nature because he took on flesh and dwelt among us and we had the story recorded so we can see it. He's the radiance of the glory of God. The sun warms us by the radiating beams that reach the earth and that warms us, that's what we experience. And Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's showing us what God is like. And then he says this, he's the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature. That word there means, uh, it's the same word for an image on a coin. You have a coin, you got the president or a king or a Caesar or whatever, and it's his image, it's his likeness, and he's basically saying Jesus is the exact imprint of God. He is God. He's showing you what God looks like. When Philip says, "Uh, no, Jesus, I don't understand. How do we know the Father? He says, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In Colossians, Paul says it that way, or I, I guess I should say God says it this way in Colossians, right? That he's the image of the invisible God. Jesus is showing us who God is because he is God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. And then it says here that he's, Jesus is upholding the universe by the word of his power. He created it, and he didn't just go, all right, y'all have fun. Good luck with that. No, he's holding it all together. Not even, like, he didn't have to put in a bear hug, just with his word of power. He speaks, and he's holding this whole thing together. Everything's right on schedule. Everything's under his control, under his sovereign reign, because he's upholding all of creation, your life, my life, everything, by the word of his power. And then it turns and it says, Jesus is the great high priest who made purifications for our sins. Verse uh, three at the end, after making purification for sins. And so here's what you're going to see this a lot in Hebrews. He talks about Jesus being the ultimate great high priest who made the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The priests in the Old Testament were making sacrifices continually over and over and over again because in Hebrews we'll find out the blood of bulls and goats can't cover your sins. So they had to constantly come back and make another sacrifice. It's like, hey, I made a sacrifice. We've atoned for our sins. I've confessed everything. I'm fine. We're good. Let's take a break. You turn around, stub your nose. Stub your toe and take God's name in vain, like, I better make another sacrifice, right? So it's like it's a constant process because it doesn't work. And Jesus is the great high priest who goes into the holy holies and offers himself as the perfect sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. God is pleased with that sacrifice. Jesus absorbs our wrath in our place by, by making himself that sacrifice so that we can be made right with God. And so Jesus is the ultimate great high priest who makes atonement and purification for our sins. Once and for all, wipes it away. And the writer of Hebrews is going to show us that over and over again. Look at how great Jesus is. Look at how sufficient what he's done is. And then he says this. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, which, which means he's, he's the king, right? He's sitting on the throne in heaven, right hand of the Father. But it also means that he accomplished it, that his work is done when he sat down, it's like, I've done it. I've done what they needed. There's no, there's no seats in the temple. The priests are going in and making sacrifice over and over and over, continually making sacrifice. They don't take a break. They don't put a, something on the altar and sit back and talk around the campfire for a while. They're constantly making sacrifice. No rest for the priest. Jesus goes in the great high priest, makes a sacrifice once for all. It's accepted by God. It takes, it takes everything. It, it gives us everything we need. And then he, he sits down. Because this work is done. It's over. He's done what we could never do, what all the other sacrifices could do. There's no other, no other hope. Jesus has accomplished everything we needed, and he sits down and he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. Seven statements just to show you Jesus is better. He's, he's the greatest. And, and if you look at those seven statements, it kind of comes to this conclusion. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And you may have heard that phrase before. It's one of the ways that we talk about Jesus. He's the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. He's he's the ultimate prophet because he's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint of God's nature. He's revealing God to us in a full, final, ultimate way. He's the ultimate priest because he made that ultimate sacrifice for our sins, and he sat down because his work is done. And he's the ultimate king. He's the heir of all things. He's the creator of the world, and he's holding everything together by the word of his power. Jesus is ultimate king, prophet, and priest. And that's, that's what Hebrews is telling us. That's, it's, it's holding Jesus up and saying, look to him. When you're, when you're tempted to walk away, when you're tempted to stray, when you're tempted to give up, when it gets difficult, when it gets hard, Jesus is always better. So look to him. What would your 2023 look like if you embraced him as prophet, priest, and king? And I know the easiest thing for us to do is embrace him as savior. And that's that, that's great, I get it. That's what I do most of the time. Like, he's my savior, he rescued me. I'm gonna live my life in response to what he's done for me. He died for me, I'll live for him, all that stuff. And as savior is a great way to embrace him. But what if you embrace all of him? He's, he's the ultimate prophet, he reveals himself to us. He's the clearest revelation of God to us. And so I'm going to get to know him. I'm going to pursue him. I'm going to spend time with him. I'm going to read God's word where he spoke to us. I'm going to to read these gospels. I'm going to read all of it. I'm going to soak it in because he's revealing himself to me. Jesus is the ultimate prophet, ultimate revelation. He's the priest. So, man, I'm going to trust in God's work this year. I'm going I'm I'm to find rest in that, knowing that it's not up to me. It never was. He's accomplished everything. He's wiped the slate clean. He's given me full, complete forgiveness. And I'm going to trust him because of that. I'm going I'm to know how much he loves me. I'm going to rest in his love this year because he is the ultimate priest that did what nobody else could do. And he's the king. If you know that he's the heir of all things and the creator of the world and everything, he's holding it all together. Would you worry as much this year as you have in the last couple of years? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you and I pray more if we really embraced the fact that he's the king, the ultimate king? It's all his. He's in control of everything. Wouldn't we worry less and pray a lot more? Wouldn't we trust him more? Wouldn't we pursue him more if we embrace who he is and how much better he is and how great he is? And that's my hope as we walk through Hebrews that we will constantly be called back, constantly reminded of the greatness of Jesus. His, his work is sufficient, more than sufficient for us. His, faith in him is the only path in life that will ever make sense. It's the only place you'll find meaning, fulfillment, joy, purpose, all the things we're looking for. And he's better than everything else that we would chase after. So let's, let's look at his greatness and let's chase after him this year. Let's be the people that pursues him with all that we have because we know he's better. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for speaking to us. Revealing yourself to us in in a way that we can understand, in a way that we can see in a way that we can experience god thank you for that and thank you for the beautiful picture that jesus is of who you are and what you've done god help us to be a people that embraces you jesus as prophet priest and king this year and beyond because of what you've done, because of who you are, Jesus, help us, help us to look to you, help us to trust in you, help us to seek you, help us to pursue you, help us to depend upon you. And God, help us not to wander. Help us not to drift. Help us not to stray. And when we're tempted to, help us to constantly look back at you and how great you are. And God, would you do that for your glory? And do that for our joy and fulfillment. And it's in the name of Jesus that we ask these things, our Savior, our prophet, our priest, and our king. Amen.